Welcome to the Tarrys Community Church Podcast. Enjoy today's episode. Once upon a time, right, once upon a time in a land far, far away, there was this person, this individual, and they were hilarious, right? They were such a, had such a funny wit. They were good-looking. They were intelligent. They were likeable. In fact, for the sake of today's story, we're going to say that this person that I've described is you, okay? So you are this person that's in the story, that you are inherently likeable, you're funny, you're wonderful. You've got all the same sort of points of conflict that you currently do, all the points of joy and despair, Uh, all the same curiosities and concerns, all those types of things. And this time that we're talking about is 2,000 years ago, and this land far, far away is this dusty road just outside of Jerusalem. So can you picture yourself there today? So as you're here on this road, on this, uh, you've come face to face with this man called Jesus, this wild man. You've been drawn in out of curiosity because you've heard gossip of what he's been doing in the region, the miracles and the teaching and all the rest of it. And so I'm not sure for how long you've been here in this scene, around this wild man called Jesus, a little bit curious, but perhaps you've been on the scene just for just a few days and you've sort of been on the outskirts looking in on the edge of the crowd and you've only just sort of arrived and you're a bit taken aback but you're still somewhat curious or perhaps, like many others in the room, you've been following Jesus for quite some time and so much so that you feel like you've submitted yourself towards his leadership in your life. So either way, on either end of the spectrum, it doesn't really matter because here today we're all in this scene just outside of Jerusalem on this dusty road. And at this point in the story of which you followed Jesus, just earlier in the week, he'd sort of shared this message which was somewhat confusing, and well, not so much confusing, but somewhat um, chilling, because he spoke about this coming crisis. Okay? He spoke about this upcoming crisis, and then what happened is a mere hours later, maybe, maybe a day later, these messengers had arrived, these men had arrived from Jerusalem to where you are with Jesus on the road outside of Jerusalem. And these messengers had, had arrived and they told you this story about how these Galilean men had gone to the temple to worship and then as they were there worshipping in the temple, Pilate had sent in troops and had had them murdered. In the midst of worship at a temple, these Galileans were murdered and the blood was spilt. Pilate had feared that perhaps there'd be a riot or an uprising and so he'd sent in the troops. And so now as you stand here on the edge of the crowd, you're somewhat able to understand the growing tension that's within the, the, the followers that are around you because as you look ahead, there's another man from Galilee called Jesus and behind him is this entire crowd. And you're not so much marching upon Jerusalem, but you can easily see how Pilate perhaps would have considered that it was an uprising that was coming into town. But on this particular day, we've got nothing to do with all of that tension, but that's just the backdrop for the scene that we're on. Because today is the Sabbath in our story, as you position yourself 2,000 years ago. Today is the Sabbath, and Jesus has stepped into a, an area called the synagogue. So he's, he's stepped into a place of worship, and the crowd has followed him in there. And then this is what you see as we do this once upon a time story, okay? This is what you see. As you head into the synagogue, you see the synagogue leader there. You see Jesus there, you see the crowd there, and then you see that there's this woman, this crippled, bent-over woman there amidst the crowd as well. And As you walk in, there's this awkward, te- this awkward moment of sort of uh, tension because there's this protocol that normally happens in the, the, in the synagogue, a, a procession, if you will, of who speaks first and who listens and all the rest of it. But Jesus... Aware of the tension, doesn't hesitate. What Jesus does is he stretches out a hand of mercy and he beckons the woman towards him and a word and a touch later and this woman has been miraculously healed in the temple. Now the synagogue leader at this stage is indignant. 
One, because he's been upstage, but two, because Jesus has broken the laws, the Sabbath laws. And so he publicly rebukes Jesus. And Jesus, of course, responds as only Jesus can with great wit and truth and love. And then as the scene sort of unfolds and comes to an end, you, our hero of the story today, you, as you were in this synagogue, you have this moment of realisation or a dawning of understanding that occurs. And you come to understand, at least in part, that what Jesus has just done for this crippled woman on this Sabbath day, Jesus desires to do for the nation of Israel. In fact, what you're coming to understand is that Jesus' kingdom message, right, is able to free this woman, it's able to free Israel, it's perhaps even able to free all of humanity, and perhaps even Jesus would like to do that for me too. And so that's the scene that we will step into this morning as we gather around the text. It's a beautiful scene though, it's a wonderful scene, but in some ways it's a disturbing scene because it's so powerful. And today's text isn't so much prescriptive in terms of what we must go and do, but it's far more descriptive of the wider kingdom of Jesus and the wider examples we follow our rabbi. And so I'm so glad that we're all here today reading this text, regardless of where we are on our journey of faith. But I've got a question for you. My question for you to consider for a moment is this. In light of this story, which demonstrates Jesus' kingdom, in light of this story, how would you describe the ministry of Jesus on a neighbour? How would you describe the ministry of Jesus or the impact of Jesus' ministry on a neighbour? It's a good question, isn't it? Because when we consider a question like that, it allows us to think of the big C church, the global church, and its impact on the community and the neighbourhood at large. It's a big enough question where we consider parachurch organisations that go out and clothe the homeless and feed the hungry. But it's also a small enough question that it also speaks to the individual's faith journey and their own diverse expression in the neighbourhood around them, in the workplace or in the social circles that you travel yourselves. What does the ministry of Jesus look like for you on a neighbour like this crippled woman? And the reason why it's a good question is because for those of you that are in the room that are sceptical of faith or angry at the church or perhaps on a journey of deconstruction. It's a large enough question where you can see both the good and the bad, and you can recognise both Jesus' beautiful intent and also humanity's at times misconstrued attempt to follow. That's a good question. So as we return to our text, there's two main teaching points or parts of Jesus' example that I'd like to pick up on this morning. And the first one is this. It is simply that Jesus saw this woman. Can you imagine being crippled for 18 years, bent over? We've spoken before about the the social system that was in place back then and how for someone with uh, an illness or a disability or something like this, most likely this person was shunted to the margins of society, like stuck in this shameful position, like hers was certainly no position of honour. She was likely far more invisible than visible, certainly on the outskirts of social favour and influence. And so when we read this story, and for those of you that are listening online or on the screen, I apologise if decided just um, as we've been telling the story not to go through the story on the screen, but you've got the text there in front of you, it's Luke 13. But there's some words there that that occur which in light of this context make it all the more remarkable because it says, there appeared a woman and then it says, and Jesus saw her. That seemingly innocuous phrase all of a sudden speaks volumes to the majesty of Jesus, doesn't it? 
And so Jesus, he doesn't just see her, he doesn't just point to her as she stands on the outskirts of the room, but rather Jesus draws this woman into the center of attention, into the center of everyone's gaze, and, she, and what he's doing is he's reinstating her in her rightful place within community. And it's this beautiful moment, this symbolic moment of those that are on the margins, those that are suffering a temporal and very earthly existence, are being drawn in and being reinstated in their rightful place. Of Jesus saying, I've come for the poor and the outcast, the oppressed, the marginalised, I've come for you all. And what it's really speaking to us this morning about is a, is a love of neighbour. It's reflective of Jesus' commands to go and feed the hungry, clothe the homeless, to welcome the alien or the outsider amongst you. It's reflective of the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Of this love for others, this love for neighbour. What we talk about is really, we're talking about this horizontal axis of love. That's what we're talking about here. Where Jesus saw someone in, in need and his ministry of mercy caused him to, to heal her in a sense. In fact, he did heal her, but that's the second part of the story. And you know, when I wrestle with that same question I posed to you a few moments ago about how would I describe the impact of Jesus' ministry on the neighbour... When I'm thinking of it through this vertical lens, or this vertical axis of love, I'm reminded of so many in our own community that love their neighbours so very well. You know, I'm reminded of people in this room that are involved with organisations like Glen Haven. You know, these kids that otherwise, if it weren't for people like this, would most likely end up even more broken and even more clocking up our, our juvenile justice system kids that without the stability and love and sacrifice provided by organisations like this, we just have such little hope. This is like a, a horizontal love, a love of neighbour driving people out of their comfort zone, right? I think of people like Gary and Ruth in our midst who continually go above and beyond to love. I think of people in this room that are willing to babysit the single mum's kids so the mum can have a reprieve and just have a breather. I think of the youth team that turn up every Friday night or the kids team that turn up every Sunday just to love people that are not their own. And I think as we wrestle with that question of how do I describe Jesus' coming kingdom, I think one way that we can describe it is this horizontal axis which draws us towards our neighbour. And then, of course, the second one that we see in this story is that Jesus didn't just move towards her in a social sense and heal her social needs, but Jesus also healed her, didn't he? It's remarkable, this part of the story, because Luke, we know, is a doctor, a physician, and we know that he's been commissioned to do an investigation into the life of Jesus. And so he's done a thorough investigation for his audience. And so he's decided that this scene is worthy of putting in, and yet, as a doctor, he's given us such little detail about her condition. Instead, he's, he merely calls it a condition of weakness. A condition of weakness. And he sort of alludes to the fact that there's a very real spiritual dimension that's at play in this woman's condition. What Luke is articulating and what Jesus has done here is is that they're highlighting that there is a spiritual root at at the cause of suffering. There's a spiritual dimension, there's a very real spiritual poverty that's at play at the very heart of man's brokenness. And so I'm not by no means saying that, uh, you know, sin is, your sin is the direct cause of like your illness or anything at all like that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the text this morning is saying either. But, the, but Luke, and what I'm trying to communicate as well, is that there is a very real spiritual element that's at play. 
And so Jesus did what only Jesus could do in this scenario, and that Jesus did the miraculous, and he healed her in a way that you and I simply cannot do. He healed her in a way in which only the, the king of all kings is able to do it, in which a, a kingdom beyond our own kingdom is able to do. But this is that vertical axis of love. This is the vertical axis of loving God as well as loving others. This is Jesus come to earth as flesh and has come into Rome in our neighbourhoods. This is the fact that God became, uh, God sent his only son to, to go and die on a cross for us. This is the, the message of, of spirituality. This is the message of atonement. This is whatever big word you want to insert in here. This is the message of spirituality. You know, as I look about for some examples in my own life, I can't help but think of one of the youth that we've spoken about so many times before. A kid that on his own probably should end up in the justice system. But you see him now after years of friendship and years of that horizontal love, but he's also received this vertical love of the love of God in such a way that it's healed his very core, his very inner being, and it's set him free of some of the, the things that must have plagued him. Because you meet him now and he's just got such a peace such a wonderful peace and such a kind young man and he's still in school in year 11 and who would have ever thought that he'd be able to do that? Al Morgan came down the other, uh, on Friday night to help cook a barbecue for our youth and he got to meet this young man and it's hard to believe that this young kid is the same kid that we met a number of years ago, isn't it? Like something has happened within him which is beyond just let's be a good friend and let's just talk about morality together. There's something that's happened inside of him which only the king of the kings can do. And so what we see in this scene is, is that as Jesus is moving towards his neighbour, he's moving on both a horizontal axis but also this vertical axis of love. And you know, at the root of all pain and all suffering and all illness is brokenness, is this thing called sin. It's this rebellion against God's ways. It's this, this hurt which we cannot deal with on our own, hence we need someone or something so much greater than us which is the message of faith, this wonderful message of faith, because our ideologies in this world cannot describe it properly and they certainly cannot treat it properly, which is why the solution can never only be the state government or the national government or this parachurch organisation or any other sort of cause that you like. Because when we're thinking about these social ills, as an example, if we think about addiction or loneliness or poverty or any of these types of things, the left's of the argument of the ideology would say that the reason these issues exist, right, is because of things like colonialism and oppression and war, right? Whereas the right hand of the ideology is always going to describe it as being, no, it's more to do with uh, the breakdown of the family unit, a lack of discipline, a lack of morality and individual people's selfishness and greed. And you know, both sides of this ideology are right, but both of them are simply just describing sin. They're simply just describing brokenness. But on their own, neither of them can fully contain or describe what the issue is. And they certainly cannot do anything to be able to heal. They certainly cannot heal the woman that's in this story. That's something that only the love of Christ can do, which spiritual solution can do. Which brings us to this thought of, as Christ followers, what is the application or the example for us to follow and the example for us to follow is obviously that we move in both of these directions, both on a horizontal platform of loving neighbour, but also that we are taking with us this vertical aspect and, and uh, bringing about the kingdom of God in a real and transformative way. That's the 
example that's set to us. And I know that as we sort of sit here around this text this morning, that is somewhat bewildering and somewhat um, scary because as we look at it, it's like, oh, I'm okay with part of this example, but I'm not so sure if I'm okay with the second part. Like, for many of you here in the room, you sort of might hear this or see this example of Jesus or see this ministry of Jesus described as horizontal and vertical and you might go, you know what, I feel comfortable loving my neighbour. I feel comfortable doing that horizontal thing, but don't ask me to go and talk about faith or don't ask me to share faith. But then others of you in the room are probably the other way around. You go, oh, you know what, no, let's just pray for a revival, let's put on a rally and let's do all of that. But the actual cost of me living a general life of generosity and a life of moving towards those on the margins that I don't even like, like that seems gross and like get me away from that. But the pattern of Jesus, if we were to follow him seriously, is to, to walk towards neighbour with both, with, with a ministry of mercy which contains both. But if you're like me, you sort of hear that and you, you recognise that and you go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. If we put ourselves back into the scene of 2,000 years ago, you sort of look at Jesus and you just think, you know, that's great, but maybe I can do part of it, but I certainly can't be a carrier of both. This ministry of mercy is massive. And I think Jesus had this in mind when he said this next part because the next part of today's teaching is directly linked to this one. In your text there it says either so or then or therefore, depending on your translation. So Jesus gives this following teaching in light of this story that we've just had here. And actually we might have these slides up. Caleb, sorry to put you on the spot. The ones towards the end about the parables, if that's okay. Uh, Next one. Yeah, this one. So it says this, Then Jesus asked... What is the kingdom of God? What shall I compare it to? And again, he's giving this teaching in light of what has just happened. And I believe that he's surveyed the room and he knows the hearts and minds of mankind and he knows there's a question of, well, what does this mean? What is, how do I interpret this healing that's just taken place? Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. What's Jesus saying here? You know, if I were an Israelite and if I were to, uh, at this same time and if I were asked to give a, a parable, I suppose, of, to describe what the coming Messiah is going to look like, I would have described it like this. I would have said, you know what? God's kingdom, when it finally comes down to deliver Israel here, is going to look like a royal family, a royal bloodline, a royal uh, priesthood, if you will, the greatest of the great. Or they might describe it as being like, You know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like an army, a force marching upon the nations to deliver and to to put Israel in its rightful place of power. It's going to be stunningly glorious and beautiful. The shields and the armour is always going to be spick and span and it's going to be this glorious and powerful thing which is going to overthrow governments. But those aren't the illustrations that Jesus uses here. Instead, he describes it as being like a mustard seed, which... Mustard seed is tiny but potent and powerful and flavorful, tiny little mustard seed which grows into a tree. And what kind of tree does it grow into? It grows into a mustard tree. And if you were to look at a picture of a mustard tree, it's this wild, ungainly looking tree. It's not this beautiful, like, cedar of Lebanon which was used to build the, uh, like Solomon's temple and these types of things. Um, instead, Jesus is describing a mustard seed into a mustard tree. This weird looking tree which is large enough that the birds can come and 
be perched in its branches and find accommodation and safety. And Jesus goes on and he says it's like leaven, which when mixed through a batch can, it will infect and it will change the makeup, change the DNA of the whole dough. What's Jesus saying? What's he saying? He's saying that whilst it might look small and inconsequential, like one action to one woman on one Sabbath, you know, in one synagogue, when the kingdom of God is scattered, when that seed is scattered, you don't know how it might grow. You don't know how it might change the nations. You don't know what it might do. And so I think Jesus is speaking to you and I here 2,000 years later where he's saying, don't despise these small things. He's saying, the kingdom of God belongs in moments such as these to a crippled woman. And so for all of us here in the, in the room, what that means is don't despise those moments in your workplace. So Simon, when you're at your workplace, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God belongs in these moments which seem small and insignificant but in which you're able to move in a horizontal axis of love or when you move in this vertical axis of love to neighbour saying the same thing to you, Lisa, and he's saying the same thing to each one of us. As we sort of start to come to a bit of a close, we've got enough time to have a discussion around the tables here, I just want to highlight one last thing, and that is, scriptures like this are always challenging, and they never, uh, I think sometimes we get it wrong in how we read it, in that we interpret it almost like there's a compulsion to action out of shame or not out of shame perhaps out of guilt like as an example when we read the parable of the good samaritan right it's this beautiful story of moving in love towards our neighbor right much like what we've seen in this story here it's very easy for us to feel like as if we should respond to the needs of our neighbor in mercy because we have to or because it's the right thing to do that's merely moralism like that's not the point that's not what Jesus is sort of describing to us that's not the invitation that Jesus is trying to give rather it's much more that Jesus is trying to humble us by the love that is required right let me say that again I want you to really understand this Jesus is trying to humble us by the love that is required and with his ministry of mercy because it is so large and it's so much beyond our own scope to be able to give it because he wants us to see and be able to first receive it first. Because on our own, there's no way in which we can move in a ministry of mercy that looks like this. Like for those of you that work in the education department, as an example, there's no way as you read this text and see the, the pattern of Jesus and we ask, how do I reconcile that pattern to my own application of faith today in the department of education? There's no way on your own and your own earthly skill and temporal ability that you can possibly do that. But it's only when we truly receive this love and receive this mercy that we are able to then give this outflow. Because, you know, at one point or another, each one of us was this story of this woman and this, this crippled woman. At some point, each one of us in the room can identify with being that woman of being crippled and bent over and in a shameful position and in desperate need of a saviour to come and release us or to come and heal us or to come and redeem us. And it's only because that we have first received that we can then also love. And perhaps this morning you feel like as if you are still in that position of that woman, that woman that's bent over and crippled. Perhaps you feel like as if you are afflicted by the pain of a loss of a family member or by a mental illness which just won't go away or a physical condition which just won't be healed. 
I'd say to you this morning that Jesus just desires, I don't know when, but his desire is to make you whole. We see time and time again that the ministry of Jesus is one of healing and of release. And it's completely of mercy. So why don't I just quickly pray and then we can have a discussion around our tables, okay? Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here today. We thank you that you are at work in our hearts and in our minds. And Spirit, we just invite you just to pull open this text even further for us. And God, may you just continue to renew us, transform us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message and that it's had great impact on you. If you want prayer, would like to connect with us further, or you just have questions, we would love to chat. You can find us at www.tarescommunitychurch.com.au or you can find us on Facebook. Have a great week.